What's up, Spellslingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And I'm Corey Janabagi. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer up. What's up, guys? We're back with another awesome episode. Hype. 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 As you can see, we're all pretty hyped. Today, we're talking about Commander 2019. Hype train! Or as we like to call it, Commander Christmas. It's right around the corner, baby. Yeah, this is coming out basically alongside when everybody's going to get the decks. Yeah, we are putting the time crunch on Gary and get this thing edited, get it out there. Thy will be done. (laughs) So, we... I think started playing Magic a lot more heavily when we all got into EDH, and that just elevated all of our games, and we started going to all these different other formats. So Commander just has a special place in our hearts. Yeah, we call it Commander Christmas. I think that's kind of just like a a term throughout the land. Yeah. (laughs) It's just when we finally get a product that is dedicated to us with specific reprints and brand new cards, a lot of which are new Commanders, which we keep saying hype, but... It really is hype. This is something that we look forward to every year. So this is time to celebrate. And I just finished university. So Congratulations. Got... Yeah. Whoop, whoop. Everyone's like, oh, aren't you so glad? I'm just like, now I go to grad school. And I go I, back I, to halfway done. Life. Yeah, I get yeah, exactly. I get to be uh, an adult. So we got champagne. Well, technically it's sparkling wine. Yeah, we had to look this up. Yeah, we didn't trip <laughs> to France to get this. Yeah, because apparently sparkling wine and champagne are very similar, except Champagne can only be called Champagne if it's from the region of France, Champagne. Champagne. Yeah. This was not. This, yeah. Spoiler alert. This is sparkling wine. Yeah. This is a Brut, which is a white wine that is a sparkling wine here. Uh, I know nothing about wine at all, but... Which is why we still have beers for the show. <laughs> yeah. But I, I can... got to celebrate. Yeah. I can read a label. Well... I, I don't speak French, so I can kind of. <laughs> we can, you can kind of. Vouvre Brut, which is classic and elegant. Mm. Uh, it is crisp like and fresh, which is what I like out of my champagne. My knowledge of champagne extends to two things. New Year's, or like Christmas Eve, and mimosas. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that is my go-to. Oh, wow. So, according to their label, elegant with an open-minded spirit, the Vouvre is an essence of French flair. Pale straw gold color with long-lasting and thin bubbles. Fresh and lively with good fruit and persistent length on a harmonious finish. Perfect as an aperitif, ideal with white meat, fish, and fruit desserts. Drink it fresh, 8 to 10 degrees Celsius. Or while you're podcasting. Yeah, and you can sit around. Yeah, just sit around (laughs) and not do anything while you drink. Yeah, like Drew was saying, we're not really champagne or wine guys. Doesn't mean we're not open to it. It's just we don't really know a lot about it or I can tell you much that experience Gary about it. Doesn't know. He knows even less than I do. The person who opens it is supposed to be the one to drink first. What I disrespect. Well, then I have foiled this <laughs> evening. Sorry. What I will say is I'm not a wine person. In general, the the sort of acrid wine flavor kind of turns me off. Um this tastes like a white wine that just has some some bubbly action going on. Maybe a little more acidic. Um, I guess it is light and refreshing. The bubbles are, in fact, thin and persistent. <laughs> We're just checking off the labels, you know, what they said here and there. Uh, you'll have to validate whether or not that's a golden straw color. Looks like it. All right. I validate it. Uh, what else did they say? Oh, something about fresh fruit. Uh, this it probably been on well. 
<laughs> it pairs well with fresh fruit and with basically grapes. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it tastes a little fruity. It's very uh, dry, very crisp. It is refreshing. Yeah, I really like this. But it really does just taste like a white wine with, with bubbles. bubbles. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was our enlightened take on some sparkling wine. So we've got the bubbly going. But we also brought on some beers to be sort of consistent and to be a little more in our realm of expertise. <laughs> so we've got Scotch ales or Scotch style ales, Scottish style ales, depending on which label you're reading here. Um, Garen, you have one that is I mean, got quite the label. Yeah, we've actually got some cool labels. Yeah, this is a very reminiscent of some card art here. We got some beautiful uh, artwork going on. So I'm rocking the Copper John Scotch style ale by Madison River Brewing Company in Montana. So this scotch ale is sitting pretty at 7% ABV and for an ale I thought it would be higher but we've got 19 IBU so maybe the scotch style ales are a little more mellow. It's darker as many scotch ales are. Oh yeah it looks just like a cup of coffee with a little red tint. Malty. Gary's got a very satisfied look. Like someone just like gave a nice little, little special tickle. (laughs) <laughs> it's tickling my tongue. Tickle. Uh, that is a delicious beer. Malty, creamy, smooth, not bitter at all, of course. Uh, you don't taste the alcohol. That's just smooth and delicious. It is incredibly smooth. I was getting hints of spices, like cinnamon mm-hmm. on the yeah. nose, but it's it's incredibly smooth. It's kind of, I don't know, earthy or nutty is the right term, but it's nutty. Scotch. Yeah, it definitely has like, a, earthy and nutty are kind of like yeah. the, and there is... I'm trying to think of the right spice. It's not cinnamon, cardamom, coriander. Uh, yeah, coriander just, maybe. It's yeah, just that sort of general. It has a weird evolution family. though, because about three to five seconds after you've swallowed, the nuttiness like really coats your tongue. Very it's earthy really and smooth. Oh, shit. that is a good beer. That's it. It tastes. I would almost describe That's as like a light porter. Yeah, like yeah, it doesn't I have like that the heavy chocolatey notes to it. It's a lot lighter and more kind of fragrant in the spice realm rather than like the the bitter chocolatey kind of that sort of it taste. totally feels like a spiced ale what do you got I, I first of all i like that your can is like kilt color yeah it's <laughs> this is a really great can you'll have to see the image i was gonna say the one that i've got as well also has the nice yeah we got some pattern. really good labels yeah. i'm drinking the claymore scotch ale from great divide from colorado it was brewed and canned by great divide brewing company in denver it is 7.7 ABV, and we looked it up, and we couldn't find any yeah, they IBUs. Yeah, they didn't post the IBUs at all. I assume they're low. Probably low. Like you'd think that, but the, the one that I've got is quite a bit higher than what you'd think out of a Scotch Ale. Really? Okay, it smells just like coffee. Okay. I'm in. It's really smooth, just like your beer is, Gary, but it's chocolatey, and it's got some coffee notes. It's a little sweet on the back end. It's coming through now, but it is. It tastes a lot like Scotch ales that I've had, but it's just a really, really dark one. It's got notes of how Drew was saying, just sort of a, a porter-inspired Scotch ale is what this seems like. So, first thing I actually smelled on this was actually the alcohol. The alcohol was like very present, and then you smelled the coffee kind of undertones afterwards. Initially, you kind of have kind of a sweet taste to it, and then that kind of fades to a maltiness and then you get this chocolatey overtone yeah. that just kind of is lingering right now uh, a bit bitterness 
off of the the chocolatey. Definitely sweeter than what you're expecting. Yeah, it's way sweeter than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's a. I'm I'm getting sweet. I'm getting that weird tingle of alcohol. I I concur. <laughs> I, yeah, think, I think you guys are right. Very interesting beer. That is. I like it. That's uh, a lot going on on it. Uh, so the last one we have here, one that I have, is the Founders Dirty Bastard. Founders ah, again. The Dirty Bastard. Uh, it's a Scotch-style ale. Surprise, surprise there. So it's 8.5% and 50 IBUs. Oh, shit. shit. Yeah, it just took a left field. And you can see on the Founders the knows what there, they're doing, though, so I trust it. You have that nice pattern on there again. <laughs> it has like almost like a, a sour, bitter kind of thing going on to it. Yeasty. Mm-hmm. Malty. Like it has all of the all of the buzzwords on the smell there. A little bit of sweetness to it. We've got some complex beers today, boys. <laughs> so this is sweet. It's got almost kind of like an acrid bitterness to it. That's very, very, very light. It has almost like a a licorice kind of taste to it. Oh, but closer to so the acridness that I'm getting, the best way that I can describe it is if you had like slightly burnt pumpernickel Fuck. so like the edge yeah yeah exactly uh what it's, it's Corey's a chef and he's confused he's a baker the the label there's a lot going on in this label drew i don't know if you want to read that back part so good it's almost wrong dark ruby in color and brewed with seven varieties of imported malts that's why the malt is just coming out so strong complex and finished with hints of smoke and peat agreed paired with a multi-richness and a right hook of hot power to give the bad attitude that a beer named Dirty Bastard has to live up to. Ain't for the wee lots. Yeah, so I think that's where all the IBUs are coming from. So I get what you're saying with pumpernickel. <clears throat> yeah. But I think, it, to me, it tastes like the meat of pumpkin. Like, kind of a squashy, pumpkin-y... See, that's um, weird, because I don't get that at all, and I hate squash. Oh, I don't like squash either. I love pumpkin. But that that's... I love squash, and I see exactly yeah. what both of you guys are talking about. This is so <laughs> weird. Like it almost has like a, is it fennel? What is the the fennel's rye? Anise. Anise. It's the anise, yeah. black licorice. Yeah, you definitely taste. Darian's is smoother, lighter, and then mine has this kind of acridness, and it, and it does sit for a little bit afterwards. Mm-hmm. Man, we are. Very, very off topic. Usually we, we try and like have one person yeah, just get the review. Perplexing. But and to be fair, we are going a bit long on this because we have champagne. Sorry. We have sparkling wine oh. and we have beer. I'm trying to get through all of it. Yeah, but there's, there's Gary, a lot going on. Let's talk about Commander twenty nineteen. Talking about the pre cons. Let's just talk about general hype first. Right. I gotta slow us down just a little bit. Corey, hit me with the power level. How does this compare to recent sets and years? Um compared to the last set for sure. I think it is above. The bar was quite low. Yeah, let's Un- unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yes. let's face it. Commander 2018 wasn't great. However, Commander 2017 was slightly better. It also had some powerhouse cards, especially some of the reprints. Morari's stake in there. Sorry, Ferrari's stake. That is Morari's wake. Yeah, and it Teferi's protection. It, yeah, brought the boogeyman Teferi's protection, and those were the tribal decks. So everybody, everybody usually loves tribal. So that was just. A fun set. Everyone was just getting in there. Continuing on the discussion of power level, uh, I think Commander 2016, right? It's still... It set the benchmark for what Commander products should be. 
Yeah, so we've got to go back. That's when they realized that they fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah, too they, much good Yeah, they stuff made those decks front. way too good. Yeah. yeah, and that's a discussion that you'll see it when we talk about Commander 2016. We'll definitely make sure that Corey's on for those ones because that was a, it was a powerhouse year. There's a lot going on yeah, and a I, lot to talk I about. I think that year specifically, not necessarily those decks, but I think that year was when we became really good Commander players because we had everyone just had to step up their game. Maybe not really days. good, but... We started taking it much seriously, much yeah. more seriously. So, Gary, what are your opinions on this, just in power level comparison? So, I think it's, you know, we haven't played with the decks yet, but I think they are more cohesive and a little more tuned than, you know, the very beginnings of Commander products. I don't think they stack up to C16 at all. They might be close to C17, the 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 tribal kind of thing. I think they have enough synergies within the decks that they can be comparable on a you know out of the box level. Yeah, I think that's a fine comparison. Is 2017 in that the decks are there, the power level is it's probably about the same, but the synergies is better in this one. Yeah. Whereas 2017 just had some powerhouse cards, which brings us to the next topic, right? Uh, let's just give a nice basic introduction of the Commander 2019 deck. So the first deck is Faceless Menace. So this is a bug deck that is black, blue, green, also known as Sultai. The primary mechanic is Morph. Whoa! So they brought Morph back and... Morph is tight. Morph is tight. The commander, or the, the face of the deck, is Kadena Slinking Sorcerer. It's one black, green, blue, so one in Sultai, for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature Naga Wizard. The first face-down creature you cast each turn costs three less to cast. So, for anyone out there... When you morph a creature, that is, you play a creature for its morph cost, the morph cost is three. Guess, well, let me at least let the people... <laughs> what? It's, it's three. So basically, you get a free morph each turn that you're able to play one. Yeah, and so that's not all this commander does. The second right. part, which is... All right, we've only, we're only halfway there. Yeah, which is arguably more powerful, is whenever a face-down creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. Hell yeah. So if you have... Leyline of Anticipation, which, guess what? You're running blue in this deck. Yep. You can have both. Uh, just play a morph creature and draw a card. So each of these decks has sort of a signature spell. So for this one, the signature spell that goes with the primary commander, Kadena's Silencer. So it's one and a blue for a 2-1 creature Naga wizard. When Kadena's Silencer is turned face up, counter all abilities your opponents control. So this is almost like a little assassin that she deploys. For. Right. So it's a morph creature, obviously, with that ability turned face up. But it's not just a morph, it's a megamorph. Megamorph is a weird mechanic. I think they brought it, or they introduced it in cons? Yes, it was cons block. And it basically, it's exact same as morph, except when you morph it, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it as well. Card's good. So the next, next deck we're going to talk about is the Mystic Intellect, which is the Jeskai deck that is white, blue, red. And the mechanic here is Flashback. So the commander we've got here is Savine the Chronoclasm. Two blue, red, and white for a 2-2 legendary creature human wizard. Drew is already bobbing his head. He's into it. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to Savine the Chronoclasm. Weird, but okay. Okay, sounds great. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell from your graveyard each turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. You don't have to pay one, you don't have to pay two, you just copy it. It's great. Right, so Savine's signature spell is Savine's Reclamation. For two and a white, you get a sorcery. Return target permanent card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. If this spell was cast, 
from a graveyard, you may copy the spell and you may choose a new target for the copy. And it has flashback for four and a white. So first time you cast it, you get, I mean, you get a Sun Titan effect. You get a, you get, yeah, you get a Sun Titan something. Right. And then the second time you do it, you get the copy, especially if Savine is out, right? This is the, the magical Christmas land here. You get to copy it because of its effect. And then you get a copy it again for Savine's effect. So you get three copies of this spell when you cast it from your graveyard. So the next deck we've got is Primal Genesis, which is white, red, green, or as we call it in the magic world, Naya. And the mechanic is Populate. So the commander of this deck is Girid, Conclave Exile. He's two red, green, white for a 2-5 legendary creature, Human Shaman. When Girid, Conclave Exile, atta- or enters the battlefield, create a 4-4 green rhino creature token with Trample. Whenever he attacks, Populate. The token enters the battlefield tapped and attacking. So for anybody that doesn't know, Populate is just a mechanic that says... Whenever you populate, create a token that's a copy of a creature token you control. Right. So it makes a token from a token. Yeah. So you have to have a token already, which is very, very important for populate decks. But I think what's really interesting about this deck is that it adds red to populate colors. Yeah. And so the signature spell for this is Gered's Belligerence. It is X red red for a sorcery. Gered's Belligerence deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures Whenever a creature dealt damage this way dies this turn, populate. Um, so the the fact that Gered is a the Conclave Exile, I mean, it, he's from Ravnica, right? So we assume that this is the Boar God on the front there. It's just yeah. it's pretty tight. Um, and this is just a solid effect. It's kind of the, the fireball style effect. But when you dedicate enough mana to actually kill things, you just populate and Imagine the damage that this thing can do, and imagine the damage that this thing can set up with the populate attached to it. So the fourth deck that we've got here is Merciless Rage. It's a black-red Rakdos deck, and the mechanic is Madness. Ooh. Yeah, so the primary commander that we have here is Anji Falconrath. She costs one red-black for a legendary creature vampire. She's a 1-3 and has haste. She also has tap, discard a card, draw a card. So that is... A massive value engine in and of itself. The problem with Madness that, as probably the only player here that's consistently played it, is that you always feel like you're down a card because you're discarding stuff yeah. just to get value off of it, just to get more value off of it, and it's hard to accrue value over time with that. And she also has this other effect. Whenever you discard a card, if it has Madness, untap onto Falconrath. Oh, shit. <laughs> so major synergies, again, from the commander with the commander. I mean, this is this is a solid card like madness has needed a good commander yeah and they're printing one that allows you to use madness with it and cares about madness so all of that just wrapped up in one she has haste which is nice because that means that you can immediately get a, a madness trigger or just attack in for one if you need to for whatever reason and so she also has her signature spell anji's ravager so this card is two and a red for a three three vampire berserker creature it attacks each combat if able and whenever it attacks discard your hand then draw three cards and also has a madness of one and a red. So usually if you read that, you're like, I do not ever want to discard my hand. But in madness, you're like, I would love to discard my hand and just cast everything. For cheap. For cheap at instant speed because timing rules are super weird with madness. All right. The, I guess, so-called negative of this card is that it has to attack each yeah. combat fable. But yeah. it basically says draw three cards each turn. Yeah, which is really, just really t- good. <laughs> So we've been sipping bubbly, which may contribute to this, but it's also because these 
these decks are new. We're excited. Uh, I think every single one of us has found a deck that we're going to like. We're going to do a Commander League. We're going to play with all four of these decks. But do we think there is a specific one of these four commanders that is the most powerful commander? I think this year they did a really good job of putting a lot of value in each of the commanders yeah. into what they want to do and just bolstering the mechanics that they're behind. I think it, for me personally... I think the Madness one is just the most powerful because you have so much value off of discarding a card, playing that card, drawing a card, potentially doing that or just over and over again. Yeah, I think cycling through cards like that is powerful. But for me personally, I look at Kadena. I think Kadena is like so close. I think Kadena is just the most powerful just because, one, you're cheating mana cost straight away. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to worry about discarding a card into Madness and like doing all that thing. You just get free morphs, which... A lot of people look at, you know, morph creatures. The setback is that you have to pay three extra mana. Then you have to morph them. And the morph costs sometimes more expensive, sometimes less. Like, it, they're all over the place. So having that free creature allows you to defend yourself, allows you to defend uh, Kadena potentially, allows you to have yeah. a threat on the board that has to be answered in some way. And then when you do that, you're also drawing a card. So you get a free creature and just immediately draws you a card. So it just refunds you that card. So every yeah. every morph creature is a cantrip. Yeah. And then you exactly. also have the morph effect on top of that. I, I think I think Kadena is kind of insane. Yeah, I think they both just give so much value. Yeah. And I think one thing for me that tips her into maybe potentially a more powerful commander is just her colors. She has three colors instead of two, which gives you more options. But she also has green and blue, which gives you natural card draw and natural ramp, which we know is extremely strong in just synergizing with all decks that you need. So Commanders, I think we lean heavily on Anjay and Kadena. Uh, but what is the most powerful spell? What do you guys think? So we're talking about signature spell, not, right. just, yep. not just spell. The, <laughs> just entire card. Yeah, the, the name spell. Out spells. of the 400 yeah. cards. <laughs> I think the most powerful one, goad against my better judgment, <laughs> is Kadena's Silencer. Ooh, I would. I, oh, man. I think I would go with Savine's Reclamation. I'm, I'm on Savine's Reclamation as well. We have to look at it in a vacuum. The spell itself, not the whole deck. Right. No, I'm looking at it both in a vacuum and then as well as with the commander. I think that those are the, the two requirements that we actually have to look at. Yeah. And I think on its own, for five mana, pulling three permanents at CMC3 to the battlefield is insanely powerful on its own. And then add in Savine, and I think it just gets that much better. I think that Kadena's uh, Silencer, very strong, right? Free free creature with more, and then you flip it. For two mana, Only and you counter, mana, yeah, yeah, and then you counter all abilities that you know target player controls. That's that's insane. That is very good. But I think that the reanimator effect, because it is permanence, I think that it allows a lot more flexibility and uh, creativity than what Kadena Silencer is. Kadena Silencer is just always going to be powerful, but I think that Savine's Reclamation just has a much higher ceiling. See, I would I disagree because I I agree that Kadena Silencer and Savine's Reclamation are the top two out of these four. For certainly, but I think. Savine's Reclamation, you it's sorcery speed. You can only do it on your turn. You only get permanence three or less. So nothing crazy. It's just value. I and disagree. That but Kadena Silencer will potentially stop you from losing the game. Certainly. but And that's that's another thing. You have to set up. You need things in your graveyard. Yeah. Or else this is just a dead spell. But While Kadena Silencer, there's always going to be abilities going. To me, it seems like Savine's Reclamation has more setup, which is just sort of a deck building and playstyle thing, whereas Kadena's 
silencer has more preparation. You have to wait for a situation in which it's necessary to use that ability. Right. And just for you, Corey, specifically, is that the argument that I would make against Savine's reclamation is that in order to get value off of it, you have to have stuff already in the graveyard. Yeah. Kadena silencer doesn't need that. It just needs your opponents to be doing things. Yeah, that's that's why I lean more towards Kadena silencer because every time you flip them up, even if it's just for so an opponent doesn't get value you're doing something while sometimes you might hang on to Savine's reclamation yeah. and never have the right stuff in your graveyard or and I think that anything. that's the right approach to say that Kadena Silencer is better but I think that if we're just talking about Magical Christmas Land Savine's reclamation is, I think is just it has a higher ceiling I think that Kadena Silencer has the better floor on I think that it can do more, more without any setup at all yeah. it just has to be there but I think that Savine's Reclamation has the potential to yeah. certainly be these two absolutely. are the top. Yeah, and I guess I'm sort of looking at it in these specific decks because you're right. probably not going to play Kadena Silencer unless it's in a morph deck. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that that's. While Savine's Reclamation, I don't know if returning permanence in a Jeskai Spellslinger deck exactly what you want to do. In other decks where you want to Revel Art combo, do crazy stuff oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, in, in, this in a Reanimator deck, this deck is crazy. But I don't know about in this specific deck if that's the best card for what it wants to do so i will say that compared to last year's set specifically we have a, a very strong discussion that we're able to have uh whereas last year i mean to have this discussion is vastly different from what we would have done if we had been podcasting a year ago yeah i think like drew was saying those decks had just clear winner and it was just it was either shit or it was good yeah. well this is there's like different varying levels of what's good and like how you can use it and all right so just real quick I want to get each of your opinions, right? So we'll do Gary and then Corey. Uh, in terms of synergy and just strictly power level, which deck is most powerful? Actually, say it at the same time, and then... Three, two, one, morph. morph. Okay. <laughs> so we're all in agreement there. Yeah. So I think a lot of us like these mechanics. Oh, these are some of the best mechanics. In the but game. morph yeah. is just so weird of a mechanic, and I think we just have a sweet spot for it. And, and it's that sold they made in colors. It so good. Yeah, it's, it's the yeah. three best colors in the game. Uh, arguably whoa, whoa, whoa. so. Uh, arguably the, so. It's red. one of the best mana costed commanders. So yeah, four and mana. it starts synergizing the second it hits the board. Yeah, literally, you can play a morph for free the turn the sheet comes out. Yeah. Like that's like I can't honestly stress enough how important that is to get your commander to have her effect so as soon as you play it. Like ramp and card draw are so important in this game, especially this format. Yep. And so if you have a commander that you can repeatedly play and never get rid of, that does both of those immediately. That's so good. Yeah. So we've been celebrating, right? We. Uh, I guess we've been drinking. <laughs> so we've been celebrating here. Uh, I just finished university, which honestly has been like a mammoth achievement for me, just because of all of the bullshit that I've had to go through. What We're not that? gonna seven years now. High yeah, five. seven years. Well, so salute to you, Drew, for finishing college. I and what better it. way to celebrate than fucking Commander, Commander Christmas, dude? Maybe? Yeah, Commander Christmas. Okay, so before we talk about the beers, oh, let's yeah. talk about. Yeah, the non-champagne champagne. We've got this sparkling wine, the Vouv de Vernay. Uh, Corey, give me your, your opinions real quick. So I I wouldn't say I like wine. It's grown on me in the past year. I've tried to drink it a lot more. I'm definitely a beer man, but I've always loved champagne. Yeah, Corey's, Corey's I, that's like a sweet tooth for champagne. Yeah, it's, weird, I, it's, it's funny. It's really weird. Like, I don't really like sweet white wines unless it's champagne. <laughs> it's just the, the carbonation, I guess. But... I really like this champagne, not champagne. This sparkling wine. 
I Garian? would agree, and I am not a wine guy at all. It's sweet enough that it balances out that acrid, bitter grape flavor that you get from wine. This is fresh, bubbly, crisp, all the things you would want out of white wine, plus it's carbonated and sweet. I dig it. How do you like it, Drew? Honestly, it's it's fine. Like It's 100% drinkable. It's It's tasty, but it's not overpowering. It's not like overly sweet overly sour over like it's i wouldn't say it's like perfectly middle of the road because it really does have like really nice flavors to it yeah but it's so drinkable and so palatable that i just keep on going back for it like i haven't hardly touched my beer uh but also that beer going back from the champagne sorry the sparkling wine into the beer just like smacks me in the face and it's a it's, really it's good daunting. palate cleanser it, yeah it's it's daunting because you get the full flavor of the beer and i guess let's talk about the beers Garyan? So mine is the Copper John Scotch Ale. Scotch style ale. ale. <laughs> uh, by Madison River Brewing Company in Montana. Um, very smooth, very creamy, uh, without being heavy. Uh, almost no alcohol flavor to the tongue. Oh, yeah. Uh, but just, and the smell is like this. It's, it it's reminds like me of spiced rum. Yeah, it's like but spicy, like, but not like jalapeno spicy it's holiday yeah. spicy it's just it really does remind me of a that's, spiced smooth ale that's yeah. a, that's a it's, damn good it's beer really good. really smooth so i had the great divide claymore scotch Which ale has probably the best logo like yeah. that one is so sick it's just it's a kilt background and then it's just a dude with a sword with a claymore with a claymore yeah. and then a castle in the back and then on the back side it's just a giant version of him yeah it's pretty dope but this is the one that it was kind of hard to pin down because it was sort of coffee, sweet, not sweet, not smooth. It was really, there's a lot of layers to it. But as I've been drinking it, it's it might just be going back between the sparkling wine. But it's just incredibly smooth. And a lot of that flavor just comes out. Yeah, I taste less of the alcohol taste that I was tasting yeah, initially. I, I and think, the smell isn't there. Yeah, I but, think the flavor is sub- subdued quite a bit yeah the and perhaps that's some of the evaporation of the alcohol but the coffee flavor is definitely there there's this really earthy kind of nuttiness like that that is balanced out there towards the end there's uh a general malty characteristic towards the body of it that just kind of hangs out there for a long time and then the aftertaste has this kind of almost like an acrid bitterness to it but it's not like a harsh Bitterness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really mellow. Yeah, yeah scotch, ales are, scotch ales are very complex. <laughs> scotch ales are just tight. And I've got the Founders... Dirty bastard. Dirty bastard. And the smell is definitely that overly sweet kind of... I'm trying to think of the, the right description for it. See the beginning of the episode for the, the right description. Coffee, chocolate. Yeah, I think yours was the most stereotypical sort of porter. It was just dark earthy chocolatey coffee body bitter with, it's tones just com- it's just and then it just mellows out into something just completely different and you get so there's like of everything else this sweetness to it a light earthiness to it there's a some bitter overtones to it that kind of carry on for a, a while but it's a different bitterness than what Corey's had it it is yeah. more hoppy bitter than it is like coffee or dark chocolate bitter yeah i think yours was it was brewed with what, seven different Malts. Seven different malts and, and three then, different hops or something like that. Yeah, it was hops. some crazy stuff. But after having the wine straight into the founders here, oh my God. the the squash was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we it's, talked earlier about 
sort of squash, pumpkin, burnt pumpernickel, sort of weird flavors that you'd never expect out of I want to say holiday flavors, but they're not. They're none of the spice flavors that you get from holiday. It's really like that Thanksgiving, like pumpkin carving flavor that's just like subtly in there with malt and grain. Tasty. It is tasty and delicious, and it mm-hmm. is what I kind of expect out of Scotch Ale, whereas Corey's has this more like subdued, like it, it takes coffee portery kind to of yeah. get through it, and while yours is just funky, just right. Yeah, it just the, gate. the flavor is just it's there. It punches you in the face, and then it has like oh, but also have you checked out this side of the flavor? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Three sides. I'm telling you three sides, all flavors, all the time. Yeah, I think that's what makes all of these beers so good is that all of us got something different They're from complex, them. Yeah. But we can just say, like, hey, I see that, but I'm also seeing this over here. And so yeah. it's just a lot goes into these. All right, guys, let's move on. Let's talk let's, a little bit more in detail about these Commander 19 decks. Let's get into the nitty gritty. Talking about these pre-cons <laughs> still. So let's look at what deck are we most looking forward so to. We just kind of voted on our outline. I think that a lot of us, we like playing different kinds of decks, but we just sort of fall into some sort of comfort food kind of mm-hmm. decks. And mine, of course, involves red and green. Surprise! And I like combat steps. Surprise! <laughs> so I went with the Naya Populate deck, which is a Populate deck, which is heavy token mechanic. I like tokens. But it also revolves specifically around combat steps. Which is Corey's actual favorite thing. Which is actually my favorite thing, because I like swinging. And then, Gary, you love yeah. Soul Ties Yeah, Gary so cannot much. get away from it. I, he has literally tried for months to be like, okay, guys, I need to build something different. There's Gary, the three best colors like in Magic. Soul <laughs> Fucking fight me about it. On our list, I put it in question marks, and that's exactly the reason, because I already have two Sultai decks, and <laughs> I didn't need a third one. But um, hey, there's one right here. But you can get it for I will say that, yes, it's Sultai, and I do like that. But it's also, to me, I've never played a Morph deck. Dude, Morph is so fun. And so Morph it is, does seem weird. like something extremely exciting to me to play. And my second pick actually Ooh, was... The Rakdos Madness deck, because ah, I also haven't played Madness, and it seems really exciting, especially to be able to do it in a good way, but I was just turned off that it was a two-color deck, so I went and I chose Sultai um, against my better judgment. I don't need a you third that, fucking but... Sultai deck, but that's where we're going. That's my choice. Andrew, you're also <laughs> sticking with your, your strong suit yeah. with Spell Slinging Jeskai. The last three sets that have come out, Drew will be like, have you guys seen Jeskai spells <laughs> yet? You too, motherfuckers. I, okay. Like, Sultai, Jeskai, Sultai, Jeskai. I can't Sultai? help. All right. Oh, yeah. Basically, I, I realized that like the more decks that I build, like, I just have this weird aversion to green. What? Like, it's one of the best colors in EDH, and I understand that, but like... I just the way it operates. I don't like creatures. That's I what it is. Mm. Like it's so. I don't like creatures. I don't like combat. Fuck all that shit. Let me play enchantments, artifacts. Let me just spells. sit here and just go off. Yeah, exactly. Do my own thing. Like fuck you guys. I'm playing my own <laughs> game. And like that's the reason why I like storm. And like I will say like aristocrats obviously is a very heavy creature deck. But like yeah. it it isn't like interactive with my opponents. Like I don't care about your creatures and my. And you're not attacking. And, like, you don't give up. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, but like this guy flashback. Game. As soon as I I saw that, I was like, Yo guys, I'm probably gonna buy this deck. And then, like, halfway through 
That was that was after the commander got revealed. Yeah. Day one. Yeah, and I was like, hey guys, <laughs> literally two cards are spoiled. <laughs> I'm getting it. And I was like, I'm probably gonna get this deck. And then they had one of the other commanders. So I'll be honest, I might be ordering two of the Jeskai spells decks so that way I can have like most of the spells for, for Kaikar and then also just have Jeskai flashback. But I'm like, I love spell sling. And there's so, something to be said about playing decks in your comfort zone because yeah. your decisions become more natural immediately. And you kind of know what you're trying to do and what you want to do, which I think is the only reason I chose Sultai again. Like, I yeah, wanted to be interesting. Sure. And because it's a morph deck, that's what makes this deck interesting to me. It's not a Moltrotha deck at all. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that all of us, we might just pick one commander and, like, I'm just going to build that card. But what commander these commander products do they just open up so many doors and just different possibilities like the only other morph deck before this was animar well there yeah. were there were other like morph decks but, but generally generally speaking, a lot ones. of yeah a lot of it was like teamer stuff yeah and there were some soul type but it was a lot harder to organize and kadena just yeah it just, just, just opened up that whole strategy and there was no naya populate it was always just green and white yeah you said and it's Comp. just different strategies which is what i think a lot of us look forward to when we just try and find new commanders so <clears throat> we all know that the precons aren't perfect these ones are actually quite good for precons but we're all going to be upgrading i think the mana base is a given uh they're not going to give us 50 dollars cards to shove into our mana base they're not going to give us 200 dollars cards to yeah, shove into our mana base Yagma yeah. and Cabal Coffers. And Dual Lands and all these things. That yeah, oh yeah Dual Lands are out of question. Them in. But aside from that, how are you guys planning to upgrade your decks? So I am going to be running the Naya Populate deck. And I'm just, I've got an Omnath Locus of Rage deck. So it's just a Landfall Elemental Token deck. So I'm just going to tear that apart and just add in a bunch of things that care about making tokens but not just that just good tokens tokens of things that i want or already have or have crazy etb stuff like that so in the in the m20 episode i said i was going to take apart my omnath deck to make the new omnath deck but i said like okay just wait just chill commander's right around the corner let's see what's happening same idea i had yeah and then i was like hey i could wait keep going with omnath elementals in a different way add blue or I could just pivot completely and just make tokens and combat steps. And Corey loves. loves. <laughs> Certainly seems more Corey. So like I was saying, I was going to make or have an emphasis on making tokens out of non-token creatures. So how do you go about doing that? What are some of the cards that you're going to add? What are you looking at? So a lot of these cards are just heavy hitters, like Splinter Twin. I think it, it got banned in Modern a few years ago because it was just too good. I think it's been banned and unbanned, but... Yeah, it's, it's got a weird past because it's just so powerful. So you just put this on anything that has value or a good ETB, make another token, and then usually that token just go away at the end of your turn. But with Populate, you actually get a, get a copy of the token that you get to keep. Yeah, it doesn't have that clause where you remove it at your end step. And in another similar fashion, we have Kiki-Jiki Mirror Breaker, which is whenever somebody hears that, they're just like, oh, God. So a lot of people might know Kiki-Jiki from... Flash Hulk combos and just crazy infinite combos that just go out. And that'd be awesome to do, but I'm just trying to make just copies of good shit and just keep them around. We also have on here my favorite card from Battle Bond, Bramble Sovereign. Bramble, so I pulled one of these and I've tried it in so many decks and it just hasn't worked. But I've never had the right deck for it. 
But like you were saying, all three of these cards, when we were talking about the Populate deck as a whole, the setup is hard to get tokens. Yeah. Um, you either need cards that come with a token or create a token, and these help supplement every creature in your deck to help them become a token. Exactly. Uh, which then you can populate from. Yeah. A lot of cards make tokens, but they make a lot of shitty tokens. <laughs> and so if you right. just play an ETB creature or something that has a really good body and then just make a copy of that on its own, that's way better than playing things that enter with 1-1s or 2-2s or something like that. Yeah. So the last, the last card one. I have is some... Uh, it's a card that a lot of people know. A lot of people are like, oh shit, that card's crazy. But it's it's surprisingly slow. It is Helm of the Host. Very good card, but it is indeed slow. So another thing I want to do is just add a lot of combat step cards because geared triggers off combat steps so whenever you attack he populates so you want to attack as many times as possible so we're including cards like breath of fury and combat celebrant to just get repeated attack steps and if you can populate those cards or make copies of them and just keep going then it's really good and then obviously you have your token doublers anointed procession doubling season parallel lives because if you can just make one good token, why not make two good tokens? Yeah, it doesn't say it has to be a dopey token. Any token. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, Garen, what are you doing with that crazy-ass morph deck? <laughs> so, I just want to lean heavy into the morph boys. We're going to do some uh, flash speed shenanigans. We're going to, you know, I've got a Vidalcan or a laying around that's probably not being used to its effect. We're going to throw that in there. Things like Leyline of Anticipation. We'll get as much flash speed cards alchemist refuge so that we can cast our morph cards for free on everybody's turn um i think that's the most broken thing that uh this deck is doing is allowing us to cheat mana cost every single turn so if we can do if we can get all of our creatures to flash speed that's going to really benefit us um i want to add in some really quality morph cards they've got some really good cards in here already um, but we a couple that I found were cards like Cabal Executioner, Disruptive Pit Mage, and Even Blade Reaper are just going to give us a little bit of extra value as we're morphing and give us a little bit more of a, a, a widespread of abilities on our morphs. And so that gives us a little extra surprise that gives each of our morphs a little bit more danger but also a little bit more secretism nobody really knows what you're doing with this we want to keep as much information hidden as possible i'll probably add in uh some good manifest cards and just some just be able to flip all my cards. you know what i mean just turn all my cards upside down that way my opponents don't know which cards are morphed creatures and which ones aren't um, that helps with surprise. That also helps with value. I mean, if you, you're flooded with lands, you can at least turn them into a 2-2. But, you know, and I'll probably put in Ixidor like everybody else is going to do. It's just extra value in a deck like this. I think the big point is leaning as hard as you can into what Watsi has already set up for you. And that's that we're going to be playing morphs. And we're going to be hiding information. And we're going to be doing exactly what Sultai wants to do, which is ramp card draw and smash him fucking face, baby. Hell yeah. We're going to do it. like teamer. But we're going to do it. And of course, Drew's rocking Jeskai spells. We kind of talked about a Jeskai spells before, but this is a new take. So what are we doing with this one? Yeah, so we talked about it before in M20, just like Corey talked about his Omnath deck and changing it out. Uh, I've been building Kaikar. And I'm still going to build Kaikar, but I'm also just going to have a different spells deck here. Uh, so I just want to get bonuses off of Flashback. We've got Cackling Counterpart. 
It allows me to create a token of a creature that I control. It's got a nice flashback cost as well, so I can create two of them. And if I've got Savine out, it allows me to make three. Uh, so we've got Momentary Blink to protect Savine if necessary. It allows me to protect multiple creatures when I have Savine actually out. And the Classics flashback, Passion Flames, which gives all my other things flashback. It's just a great thing. But what I want to do here with this deck is actually do the uh, Fork package. Uh, so I've got Dual Casting, Echo Mage, Mirror Sheen, Sigil Tracer, and if I have Turnabout, it allows me to actually generate infinite mana by copying spells. So I have ways to generate a bunch of mana, do a bunch of flashback stuff, copy spells, just fork everything, make things... I mean, if I got Savine and I'm casting the Graveyard, then I'm casting things three, four times, and just off of one thing, I'm making a bunch of copies. It's just a lot of crazy mana shenanigans, uh, infinite mana shenanigans if I've got Turnabout... Just, I, I can just go nuts with this deck and just do whatever I want with Flashback, which is a lot of fun. All right, so Garion, we're talking about these new decks. We're talking about stuff that we can upgrade. Let's just talk about the decks themselves. Are there any reprints that you're excited about? So I think it's going to be very common opinion that Seedborn Muse is a massive card to reprint. And Yeah, seeing that, I'm glad that they spoiled it day one because it was just yeah. like, holy shit, the hype on this is real. And then the rest of the stuff isn't as good. But Seedborn Muse... Great reprint. Core you? Yeah, there were a lot of good reprints in each of the decks, but I think Seaborn Muse is just like the standout. I one. think they released it so early because they wanted those pre-orders. So like, hey, yeah. look at what we reprinted. It was like, oh shit, I'm buying these decks. But they exactly. didn't say what deck it was. Uh, they uh, got me. Yeah, I mean, I bought it. Probably my favorite one because I've started to value these types of cards better is Farseek, and that's low-costed early turn ramp. That's yeah. more one than just green basics. And allows you to get an island, plains, mountain, or swamp. Yep. The difference of ramping on turn four and ramping on turn two is significant. The Agreed. cost per land is the same, but when you get it is extremely important. Um, what do you got, Drew? Um, again, I have Seedborn Muse because yeah. that card's you know incredible. Yeah. Uh, I've got Exodron, which, again, it's going to be in the morph deck. And it's just a very powerful card, especially in that deck. Um, another one I have is one another morph card, Hooded Hydra, uh, River Kelpie. Uh, we've got just one of my personal favorites. We've got Ghostly Prison just being the namesake of these types of cards. Uh, it was getting up there in price. I think it was like 10 bucks or something like that before yeah, this reprint. It and Propaganda are just going they're, way, Yeah, way, they're, way. they're skyrocketing. And honestly, for a lot of people, becoming un, unaffordable. And I'm glad to see a reprint like that. We've got... Clever Impersonator. We've got a nice clone effect here. Sun Titan, which is just a classic. Yeah. We've got Geth, Lord of the Vault. One of the strongest cards in the set. And to see it as a reprint is really good. Um, then we have a couple cards that are very similar in what they do and why I'm, I'm happy for their reprints. We've got Trail of Mystery. The second and last one I have here is Farseek, which, Garen, you have on your list. Uh, yep. It was getting up there in price, especially for a common, so I'm really glad to see that reprint. It I is think people a, realized how important it was to even be able to fish out your shocks. Like, not everybody has dual ends, but shocks are really good to yeah, grab and, and they're basically, they're starting to become affordable, especially with the last reprinting of them. They're not 12 bucks anymore. You know, you see yeah. five, $5 shock lands, and that's it is expensive for a land, but it it's honestly not too bad. So the last card, I think, is the most hype card. Hype, 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 hype. Uh... And it's one of my favorite cards in Commander in general. Shit, I think that just yeah. the value that you get out of this card is insane, especially if you have ET, like bonus ETP triggers, sacrifice triggers, reanimate triggers, anything like that. 2-2 two, two for 4. Fuck yeah! Yeah, great. Value. But it's 4 colorless. We've got Solemn Simulacrum, and it has just amazing new art. 
uh, and it's just a staple in EDH. When it enters the battlefield, you get a ramp. When it dies, you draw a card. If you can, you know, copy these triggers in some way, reanimate it, get those copies again. I'll leave that for my my list. I mean, I just rattled off a bunch of cards here, so I'm gonna throw it over to Corey. I mean, I knew that Scuba Steve was gonna be on the list, so hit us up with the rest. Yeah. So another of the cards I have is Tempt with Discovery. So this is another. It was a card that was getting up there. It was like four or five dollars for just a ramp spell. Another card that I have on the reprints is Desolation Twin. Didn't know who this guy was until I, I pulled him up. did not expect this to be on your list, but I see why he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a dumb, dumb card. So I'm <laughs> a sucker for Eldrazi. And then I had a lot of the other reprints, like Seaborn Muse is just incredible, and Farseek is just 10 out of 10. But I had another card, Burnished Heart. It's a classic. We've talked about it on the show. Another Commander staple. They didn't give new art for it no i'm i'm kind of glad i like the elk yeah like i like art that's been around for a while but i also love new art yeah burnish heart is a very good commander staple i think at this point like, yeah it's colorless ramp and while the investment cost is six mana it gets you two lands it's a creature that can block if necessary like yeah. there's a lot going for it uh your next one also a colorless card and being the resident madness player I love this card. This card is a lot of fun. I was super glad to see it. So this card is Key to the City. It's a two-mana artifact. You could tap it to discard a card. Up to one target creature can't be blocked this turn. And then whenever Key to the City becomes untapped, you may pay two generic mana. If you do, draw a card. So we've been talking about a lot of the reprints and a lot of our favorites cards that are coming back, but another thing about the Commander Project is that there's so many good new cards and Not all of them are great, to, but to a lot of them, I mean, we just have hype around new cards in general, and this is the Commander Specialty cards. Yeah, and so there's 15 new legendary creatures in this set to build around. Hell yeah! So, Drew, what are some of your favorite ones? So I've got, I guess it's technically three, but really I've got two, like top new commanders that aren't in the Jeskai deck because I wanted to focus away from the Jeskai deck because that's the deck I'm probably going to be playing the most but we've got Atla Palani Nest Tender and I don't know if people have seen you know on Reddit and all of the other forum places that we've seen it <laughs> this oh, card's yeah. insane so it's one red green white so one in Naya for a human shaman it's a 2-3 legendary creature of course it's got an activated ability 2 and tap create an 0-1 green egg creature token with defender it's okay cool. But the real the real meat of this card is whenever an egg you control dies, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Seems cool. The next one I have is kind of both of the other alternate commanders for the Madness deck. So the first one we have here is Chainer Nightmare Adept. So they've done a print of chainer before the new one is two black red for a three two human minion legendary creature of course has discard a card you may cast a creature card from your graveyard this turn activate this ability only once each turn so it fuels madness it allows you to care about your graveyard all of that sort of reanimator stuff uh very strong ability on its own and then also has whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control if you didn't cast it from your hand it gains haste until end of turn so again this is a massive fuel engine for madness because madness those creatures actually enter from exile not from your hand you discard them into exile then cast them so it gives your madness stuff haste this is the other creature that i was talking about for the madness deck that it's just a massive engine that really really fuels that deck and allows you to go nuts so the other card i have here is graven predator captain so for three black red it's a five five legendary creature human warrior has menace 
And Graven Predator Captain gets plus X plus O, where X is the amount of life you've lost this turn. On its own, if you have a lot of things that pay life, you know, it's fine. But has a secondary ability where whenever Graven attacks, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, you draw cards equal to that creature's power, and you lose life equal to that creature's toughness. Um, so, Corey, who'd you, uh, who'd you put on your list? So, I stuck to some Naya and went with Marissi, Breaker of the Coil. Oh, yeah. So, Goad is <laughs> why don't all you... time one of my favorite mechanics. Yeah, why don't you read Marissi and explain <laughs> why this card works the way you want it? So, it's one red, green, white for a 5-4 legendary creature, Cat Warrior. Your opponents can't cast spells during combat. That doesn't sound very important, but it can be definitely useful to have shenanigans of your own and nobody else can interact with it. But the important part is whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, go to each creature that player controls. So go is a mechanic that reads, until your next turn, those creatures attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. So it basically reads... If you attack somebody, everybody else, or they have to attack somebody else, which leaves them open to attacking, and you get to keep attacking everybody. So the idea behind this deck is to make a lot of little evasive creatures and just get everybody tapped out and attacking. But I just think that making everybody attack and leaving everybody open is just so much fun. So Your I, second card, I have such a problem with. So, so as soon as I saw this card, I immediately put it on the list on Corey's just because like, this is such <laughs> a Corey card that it has to be on his list. Yeah, so my second card is Tangrath, First Mate. It's two, a red and a green. For a 5-5 five, five legendary creature, Minotaur War. Pirate. He, he, he is, is a pirate. first he's, mate, motherfucker. Why is this not a pirate? He's not a he's, pirate. He is he's not. He's Tangrath pirate. Pirates, right? Yeah. But... He's a 5-5, five, five, can't be blocked by more than one creature. So he's a big dude, only one guy can block him. Whenever an opponent attacks with one or more creatures, if Tongarth is tapped, you may have that opponent gain control of Tongarth until end of combat. So you just give him to a dude. If you do, choose a player or planeswalker that opponent is attacking. Tongarth is attacking that player or planeswalker. All right, so Garion, you're up. Let's talk so, about your number two before we talk about number one. So my number two... Technically, my number two was Atla because I'm building that deck with my son. I thought that would be really exciting. But I'm I'm pretty excited about Rayami, First of the Fallen. It's one in Sultai for a 5-4 legendary creature vampire. If a non-token creature would die, exile that card with a blood counter on it instead. As long as an exiled card with a blood counter on it has flying, Rayami, First of the Fallen, has flying. The same is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Menace Protection, Reach, Trample, and Vigilance. So all of the common mechanics, basically. Yeah, right. all your keywords. Uh, but my number one, uh, I think we all kind of looked at this card and went, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, this card uh, was like, oh man. First and foremost, it's black, which is huge. Second of all... Phyrexian mana, which is also <laughs> just yeah. delicious. Darian's boner just oh all god, yeah, the, like he he sent this into the group <laughs> chat and it was just like yes, yeah, so obviously this card is good. Like settle down. Uh, it's Crick, son of Yogmoth. He's a two-two legendary creature horror minion, and he costs four and three Phyrexian mana. So either 
black, 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 or two life, two life, two life. He has life. Or any, vari- any variation. Any, of- yeah, any combination of those. He has lifelink, and for each black mana in a cost, in a cost, a cost, you may pay two life rather than pay that mana. So now all of your black spells have Phyrexian mana costs. Uh, it also says whenever you cast a black spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Krik, son of Yagmoth. All right. Let's try and keep rolling with this episode. Um, looking at if there are any new cards that you're looking forward to from the 99 from these other decks uh, for old decks that you have. Let's try and look at for each color. So, Corey, what are your what are your top cards? What are you looking at? So, we divided these into colors. So, I'm starting with white. We got Savine's Reclamation, which we've talked about a lot. And then a new card, Mandate of Peace. So, Mandate of Peace is one in white for an instant. Cast a spell only during combat. Your opponents can't cast spells this turn and end the combat phase. Remove all attackers and blockers from combat. Exile all spells and abilities from the stack, including this spell. So, what deck are you looking at putting this card in? I would definitely put this in Teague because it's oh god a lockdown card it makes people stop from interacting with anything yeah all right how about you blue blue we've got kadena silencer which we've also talked about a lot but then we've also got sudden substitution and wall of stolen identity so sudden substitution is two blue blue for an instant with split second which i'm glad they brought back it's a very powerful mechanic but it's exchange control target non-creature spell and target creature then the creature's controller may choose new targets for it so it's it's kind of a weird switcheroo, uh, sort of nonsensical, perplexing chimera where you get to steal something and then switch it with somebody else's thing. And, so, and it may not even be you. But yeah, you, you could just, just do some weird hey, stuff. Hey, how about you have this commander that's not going to do you any good, but hey, in return, you get this spell, which you get to redirect. Exactly, yeah. And then the other one is Wall of Stolen Identity. Which, which is, is a weird, <laughs> weird So thing. weird. It's three and a blue for a zero, zero, shapeshifter wall. You may have Wall of Stolen Identity enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it's a wall in addition to its other types and has Defender. When you do, tap the copied creature and it doesn't untap during its controls untap step for as long as you control Wall of Stolen Identity. All right, you're black. Black, we have Thieving Amalgam and Archfiend of Spite. So Thieving Amalgam is a weird one. It's five black black for a six seven ape snake. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, you manifest the top card of that player's library. Whenever a creature you control but don't own dies, its owner loses two life and you gain two life. You sit there stealing other people's cards, making it so they can't play them, and you get value off of all of them. Uh, another seven drop. It's five black black for a six six creature demon flying. Whenever a source an opponent controls deals damage to Archfiendus fight, that source's controller loses that much life unless they sacrifice that many permanents. And it has a madness cost of three black black. So it's a five drop madness card which is ideally how you want to cast this. But it's a pseudo-Phyrexian obliterator. People do not want to swing into this because they'll either lose a bunch of life or have to sacrifice a bunch of stuff, which nobody ever wants to do. You're red? Red. I think, (laughs) Drew, we shared this card on both of our lists, but it's Dockside Extortionist. Nice. One in red for one, two goblin pirates. So I'm a sucker for every new goblin they print. I look at it like, (laughs) Okay, you're good. You're making but it. But this one is, deck. I think, actually good. This one is so good. This one. He's I, also a pirate. Oh, yeah. I think this one is up there in recent sets with uh, Treasure Nabber and the new Cranko. They're just so good. But it's. It reads When Dockside Extortionist enters the battlefield, create X treasure tokens where X is the number of artifacts and enchantments your opponents control. 
And then another card that I think is especially useful for the Populate deck is Hate Mirage. It's three and a red for sorcery. Choose up to two target creatures you don't control. For each of those creatures, create a token that's a copy of that creature. Those tokens gain haste. Exile them at the beginning of the next end step. So you just get copies of maybe people's commanders or other really good cards, and then you populate the copies, which stick around past the end step, and then you can just use and abuse them. So we've also got your green cards. First one is Oran Frostfang, which is also on my list. Yeah, so it's three green green for two six. Snow creature, snake. Attacking creatures you control have death touch. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So this just promotes attacking all the time because nobody wants to block your stuff. And then when they get through, you draw cards. And the second one, also on my list, we've got <laughs> Road of Return. Yeah, it turns out there aren't very many new cards. So we had a lot of repeats. A lot of overlap, yeah. Yeah, so Road of Return is green, green. Choose one. Return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. So it's a little eternal witness. And then the other one is put your commander into your hand from the command zone. So it just cheats your commander attacks right away. And it has an entwine cost of two. Yeah, so, so for, for four, four mana, mana, you can eternal witness and cheat your commander attacks. It's not exactly eternal witness, but it's still pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, the last category we have here is our colorless lands, multicolored. First one on your list is Eon Engine, which again on my list, it's a very good card. Weird card. It, I think it has a lot of potential. <laughs> so it's a five drop artifact. Enters the battlefield tapped. You could tap it and exile it. Reverse the game's turn order. There's never been a card that does this. This is a weird effect. I don't know how I feel, but I love the chaos. It's just a chaos card. I knew Corey would love this card, so I ended up taking it off my list just because I was like. This is such a Cory card. But another card that I have is Idol of Oblivion. It's a two-drop artifact. You can tap it to draw a card. Activate this ability only if you created a token this card. So it's very selective card draw. And then you can pay eight, tap it, and sack it. Create a 10-10 colorless Eldrazi creature token. <laughs> and my very boom, last ten, card. Ten. Boom, 10-10. Boom, 10-10 out of nowhere. All right, the last one you have here is one that we kind of talked about in our group chat for a while. I think, Gary, your brother Sean is very keen to make a very brutal deck Yeah, this one. Yeah, so the last card is Gerard Weatherlight Hero. It's two red and white for 3-3 legendary creature human soldier with first strike. When Gerard Weatherlight Hero dies, exile it and return to the battlefield all artifact and creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn. So they worded it this way so that if you use him as your commander, he can die, his trigger is on the sack, you can exile him, and then the, after the exile, you can remove him and put him back into the command zone. Yeah, you can choose as a replacement effect to put him in the command zone instead of exiling him. Yeah, so he's not complete garbage. So this is mostly just... Board wipe tribal. Board wipe tribal, and it's going to be fucking brutal. <laughs> but, Garion, what do you got? <clears throat> so for white, I've got... Uh... Song of the World Soul. It's four white, white for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a spell, populate. And for the other colors, I, I had very similar to Drew and Corey here. Um, but worthy to note, Crick, son of Yagmoth, extremely good. We've already talked about him. Yeah, he's he's sort of my black pick for new cards. Um, and for green, I've got Full Flowering, which is X X and a green for a sorcery and it says populate x times which i just think the floor is low but the ceiling's quite high 
What about you, Drew? Uh, so for white, I've got a lot of cards just because I think most of the white cards are pretty solid. I've yeah. got Thalia's Geist Caller, two and a white for a three one creature, human cleric, has lifelink, and whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard, create a one one white spirit creature token with flying. Sacrifice a spirit, Thalia's Geist Caller gains indestructible until end of turn. Uh, we've got Mandated Peace, which Corey talked about, um, Doomed Artisan, because I, a man who loves this sort of, you know, do nothing and gain value. Doomed Artisan is two and a white for a one one creature, human artificer. Sculptures you control can't attack or block. At the beginning of your end step, create a colorless sculpture artifact creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of sculptures you control. Uh, next we have Commander's Insignia, which basically I can only put in one deck, which is my Daxos deck. Uh, creatures you control get plus and plus one for each time you've cast your commander. So it's uh, an anthem that can be better than what it normally is. And then Song of the World Soul, which Gary talked about. Just a solid card. Great. Uh, in blue, we've got Mass Diminish. I love these sort of effects. They're this a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, so for one in a blue, you get a sorcery. Until your next turn, creatures target player controls have base power and toughness 1-1. One, one. Also has flashback for three in a blue. Uh, and then Leadership Vacuum, which I still am trying to evaluate properly. So it's two in a blue for an instant. Target player returns each commander they control from the battlefield to the command zone and also just draw a card. So it has a cantrip on top of it. So for black, I've got Bone Miser. For four in a black, we've got a 4-4 four, four Zombie Wizard. When you discard a creature card, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Whenever you discard a land card, add black black. Whenever you discard a non-creature card, whenever you discard a non-creature, non-land card, draw a card. Uh, can't really go wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, next card we have on black is Nightmare Unmaking. It's three black black. Choose one. Exile each creature with power greater than the number of cards in your hand or exile each creature with power less than the number of cards in your hand. The last card I have on my black list is Kirik. Son of Yagmoth, we, we're going to talk about this card over and over again. It's real good. Um, in red, we've got Ignite the Future, which for three and a red, exile the top three cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. If this spell was cast from a graveyard, you may play cards this way without paying their mana cost. And flashback cost is seven and a red. Um, I think this is just one of my I think top cards of this set is Backdraft Hellkite. For three red red, you get a, a four four dragon with flying. Whenever Backdraft Hellkite attacks, each instant sorcerer card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. The flashback cost is equal to its mana cost. The next one I have on my list is the same one that Corey had. We've got Dockside Extortionist. I just think that it is a very good card. It has the potential to just be absolutely nutty, especially against someone like me who plays loads of enchantments. Like, I'm going to give you so many, so many. Yeah, you're almost cards. always going to get some ramp off of it. Yeah. All right, so for green, again, Corey, <laughs> on my list we've got Road of Return and Oren Frostfang, both of which we talked about. Combat matters. Oren Frostfang, very good. Road of Return, I mean, who doesn't like Eternal Witness, especially the bonus of returning your commander to your hand. Uh, however, we don't have Apex Altasaur on your list, which it just seems to be like it's going to be a fun card. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's I expensive. This one it's on, seven green green for a dinosaur that's a 10-10. When Apex Altasaur enters the battlefield, it fights up to one target creature you don't control and has Enrage. Whenever Apex Altsaur is dealt damage, it fights up to one target creature you don't control. It's a solid card. Uh, very, very expensive mana cost-wise, but this is what You're I... green. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I thought Enrage was supposed to be. Like That's, like, I think the epitome of what Enrage is. So, for our colorless and multicolored, I've got Empowered Auto Generator, which I think is probably the best colorless spell in the set. It's four mana for an artifact. Empowered Auto Generator enters the battlefield tapped. Kind of sucks, but has tap to put a charge counter on Empowered Auto Generator at X mana of any one color where X is the number of charge counters on Empowered Auto Generator. The last one on my list is Bloodthirsty Blade. For two mana, you get an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero. And as Corey loves here, 
it's goaded. Yeah. Uh, and for one mana, attach Bloodthirsty Blade to target creature and opponent controls. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. So on your turn, you put it on an opponent's creature. It's plus to plus so and can't attack you. I think it just has a lot of potential to just be ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I really like this card. All right. So that's all of the new cards that we're kind of excited about in the 99. We've talked about the commanders themselves. Um, I guess let's bring it down to a low note real quick. What are the biggest disappointments of the set? Corey, what are you looking at? What, so, what didn't meet your hype? I think I'm going to go on the reprint train. Like These decks have a lot of really good reprints and a lot of staples that everybody wants, which I appreciate and I love. But I think there's just no, like, oh, I need that card. Like I think Seaboard Muse is the only that one. That was the closest one. That comes close to it. But there's no Marari's Wake or Teferi's Protection, anything that's like, I have to buy this deck for this card, yeah. which in some way is a boon. But in a lot of ways, people that buy this deck aren't getting just the wow factor. They're getting a lot of good cards, but not cards that's like, oh shit, you're playing that card. Yeah, and I think the biggest disappointment, which we can all agree on, Karen, you tried to touch on this oh over and over God. again, but the Madness deck. As the Resident Madness player, the guy who's played this deck, this type of deck anyways, loads, why did they not include blue? And you could make the argument, oh, they're trying to make balanced colors, but there are three decks that have red. Why not three decks that have blue? Like It, it should be fine if you're going to imbalance the colors in one way. Like Just go nuts with it. But Madness is Acorixis color. Yeah. Like, let it let it be that. This product especially is printing what people want. Like if people want Grixis vampires with madness, people have always wanted madness as a commander yeah. sort of option. And I think Don't blue ball us. Yeah, I think this would <laughs> be the way to do it. All right. So let's try and wrap this up as fast as we possibly can. Let's get a quick discussion on these three topics. Best reprint, Corey, go. Seedborn Muse. Why? Because it is incredible. <laughs> it is, it's not really a commander staple, more as just like... It's a commander powerhouse. Well, yeah, when people play it, it's like, oh God, not Seedborn Muse, because it's just so fucking good. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Seedborn Muse allows you to untap all non-land permanents on each other player's upkeep. Yeah, so you just get a play on everybody else's turn, too. Yeah. All right, Gary, best reprint. Seedborn Muse. <laughs> Mine? Seedborn Muse. <laughs> what? Surprise. I, I think part of it, too, is the the cost seedborn muse was getting expensive and so being able to reprint it again helps to drive that cost down make it a little more accessible so yeah i think my number two is probably geth yeah yeah i agree it's just a good reprint um all right so what about best new commander garion i mean of all the commanders of all there's for sure so the mono black four phyrexia phyrexia phyrexian mana all right so for me i kind of cheated um i've got anji falconrath and Chainer. We've talked about both of them, but I think that the Madness deck, everyone wanted, I shouldn't say everyone, lots of people wanted a good Madness commander that enables Madness without totally screwing yourself over, <laughs> right? And so both of these cards just really enable those strategies. We've got Anji who allows you to rummage, discard that card, draw a card. You're net positive every single time you're able to use that Madness. And then whenever you actually discard a card with Madness, it untap allows you to do it again. It really allows you just to spin off out of control. And then Chain or Nightmare Adept, it, again, you discard a card, and sometimes you just let that card go to the graveyard. And the ability, you may cast a creature card from your graveyard this turn, activate this ability only once each turn. The fact that you can just cast a creature card from a, from your graveyard, it doesn't say when you have to do that, so it kind of leaves that open-ended as long as it's your turn, as long as you have priority and you're able to do it on your main phase, you're able to do that. And if you're just discarding things 
that have Magnus, you're able to get an effect that's bonus on top of that. I think that it's just a fun reanimator effect that enables Madness in a way that we haven't been able to use it before. What about you, Corey? So I agree with you, Gary, in that Crick is the best commander. It's just too abusable. I, yeah. I think that he's the most powerful. Yeah, I don't think he's the most fun to build around or like the coolest new option. I just think he's the most powerful, just yeah. the best. Yeah, cheating a, a mana cost and just having your life total as a it, resource. It it's is. so abusable. A lot of times us commander players want to find two, three, and four color commanders so that we have the options to be really creative. He doesn't do that, but like Corey said, he's just so broken in what he can do. Uh, I couldn't not put him on the top. Yeah. yeah, And I think kind of along with that is the uh, Atla Palani Nest Tender. Yeah. I think that really good as well. She's definitely really yeah, up she, there. She's just very strong and mainly because of what you're able to do with her, not necessarily her own effect, which which is good in and of itself. But the fact that she is abusable and that you can just go out of control with her, it's very apparent that people want this sort of commander that you can just combo out with, empty your whole deck, swing wild, go nuts on turn four, and just do whatever you want. Yeah, because she really cares about the equipment, at least with the combo that we were sort of building her, and she's in the right colors for that. And just suiting her up and just going immediately is really easy to do. All right, so on three, just in general, the best new card... New card, not reprinted. Yeah. One, two, three. Backdrive. Okay. okay, so that's good. So we're all we, different. We all have different cards. Corey, uh, I mean, we're going to beat a dead horse Yeah, here. we've talked at length about Crick, but it, he's just so damn good. I think the internet and everybody, the com- commander community is just ablaze with how they're breaking Crick right now. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm personally going to make a Crick deck. But he's... I think he's also just very good in the 99. His power level is just insane. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Uh, we're talking about the backdraft Hellkite. Um, to have Pass and Flames on a creature is very good, especially since when you attack with it, when you actually get that ability, you don't have to pay the mana cost. For me, that's where the power level of this card comes in, is that Pass and Flames, you always have to pay the mana cost in order to give everything flashback. So in order to have it on a creature that triggers when it attacks... I mean, if you can give it haste, obviously, like, you're paying that mana cost in the same turn, but also you're just getting that effect in the same turn. It's repeatable. It's abusable if you have bonus combat steps or whatever. Like, this card just screams powerhouse to me in that it can do so much for you. It's passing flames on a creature that I think you can abuse. Yeah, this card reminds me a lot of Dragon Mage, which is just Wheel Mm -hmm. of Fortune on a repeatable stick. Yeah. And it's similar power levels. Except this is five mana. Yeah, instead of getting a new hand... You get everything in your graveyard, potentially. Yeah. Any instant sorcery, which, if you have this card in your library, it's going to be an instant sorcery-based exactly, deck, and yeah. it's going to be insane. You're going to get massive value. And, Gary, and you have so probably mine, the most interesting... Mine's a weird one. I didn't go specifically just on power level. I went on what it provides to the game. So I have Gift of Doom, which is four and a black for an enchantment aura, and it says, Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature has Death Touch and Indestructible, but it also has Morph, Sacrifice Another Creature. So this is the very first Aura Morph printed. Um, And so it does something that's different, unique, and frankly, useful. Um, It's a combat trick. It's another way to disguise what you're doing. And as Gift of Doom is turned face up, you may attach it to a creature. Yeah, I mean, it's a a sack outlet that your opponents don't know about, which yeah. I think is, is really cool. Um, I don't know 
Honestly, I think I'd have to play with this card to actually evaluate the power level of it. It has obviously massive potential and massive blowout potential for how it can interact with attacks on yeah. board. But yeah, I don't think anybody is gonna expect this. No, when you flip it up and attach it to your commander in response to a board wipe or any weird thing like that. Yeah, yeah, pocket fog that's just indestructible is is weird. Yeah, like, honestly, well, super unique. It, it's got death touch and indestructible, so it can be used in so many different ways in combat. You can attach it to the dinkiest, shittiest thing. Uh, you know, there's just so many ways to figure out and make it into your perfect solution that I think it's just I think it's worth running. Yeah. For this sure. is a card that I would have loved to have run in Daxos, except that in order to get the actual value I need, it needs to be the morph cost. But then it's not an enchantment that Daxos sees to give me an experience yeah, counter. Right. And I don't think I want to pay retail for this card ever. I no. do not want to pay four on a yeah. black for <laughs> yeah, this. That's, that's a bit much. Yeah. So basically, uh, you know, we've reviewed and kind of gone through the decks. We've talked about some of our favorite cards. We've kind of put a point uh, into each deck and what it does well and what it doesn't. This has been a pretty long episode. We've tried to be in detail, but also not beat a dead horse like <laughs> like we uh, do. Nick is good. There's yeah, a lot he's good. of cards to read. <laughs> but uh, I think it's a pretty good overview. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff out there right now about Commander 19, but this is a really good episode on all four of the decks what we're excited about it also kind of demonstrates kind of the big disappointments of the deck yeah. like honestly why is the madness deck not just three colors there are three colors that have always been in the madness colors like why is this such a, a major letdown like why why did they let that happen like they have the massive foresight on watsi's part to push these decks and i don't think that having multiple years of disappointment in that there's three three color decks and then one two color deck. I think that that's a, that's a huge mistake. I think that's a huge error on their part, especially since there was backlash last year. Like, why was the is it Artificer deck not a Jeskai deck or you know like a Grixis deck or any other combination when there's so much potential for it to be exactly that? So I think uh, the discussion needed to happen. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're glad that you guys are are listening to the discussion. Hopefully, you guys are willing to discuss it amongst yourselves, always, always feel free to hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or on YouTube, at UED Podcast or Untap Upkeep Drink. We try to respond to every comment we get. We love having the discussion with the fans. Um, and I think this product has a lot to discuss, so definitely hit us up. Yeah, I mean, this is Commander Christmas, as we call it. And so there's a lot to discuss. This episode might be a little long, but we ask you, of course, to check out Drew's Brews on Instagram. Check out all the things that we've been drinking off of the show. And to check out YouTube, we've got all the artwork and card images on there. Even if we just mention something on here, we'll probably put the card image on there. Um, and please subscribe, like, share. It really helps us more than you realize. Helps us grow. Helps us to show other people what we do. And helps us show why magic is great and why we do what we do. Yeah, we had a lot of great beers on this episode. And I think it's really hard to pin down a beer of the show. We've given Corey the honor of naming best beer. And of course, we want you guys to give us your recommendations. Yes. But Corey, what is, what is your recommendation from today's episode? This is so hard because all of our beers were just so complex and had a lot going on. And unique. And yeah, they were yeah, extremely for a, Just a bunch of Scotch ales, Scottish style ales, Scot, Scotch style ales, whatever you know the label <laughs> says. I mean, I really want to go with mine, but I think I might be biased, but 
Yeah, I was I was going to say the same thing. That's the reason why I wanted to leave it up to Corey's because I thought that mine was the best one. Yeah. But again, I thought I was probably biased because I, you know, I was drinking on it for so long and it was delicious. It was complex. Corey's had that moment of thought that you had to take before actually evaluating what the beer was. Gary's was very straightforward, but at the same time... It was so good. It was just a delicious, smooth beverage. See, I, I would have gone with Corey's as well. Yeah. It had enough smoothness that, smoothness? smoothness that it was really palatable and delicious, but it was also complex enough that it kind of was uh, a little bit of a guessing game of what all you were getting. Yeah, all these beers had a lot going on, but I yeah. think the Claymore, it was just... It just ekes out that top spot. I mean, I'm not mad at that. I think that they, these were all very good beers, and yeah. I I wouldn't say anyone is better than the rest, honestly. But if we want to say that the Claymore is the one that, if you're going to check out a Scotch Ale from any of these, go check out the Claymore. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think that just about wraps up this episode. Thank you guys so much for visiting with us, coming in and listening to the discussion. We are super excited about Commander 19. We, as we mentioned before, we're going to be doing a, a league with the, the play group with all four of the decks. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure each one of us has bought at least one of the decks just for themselves because we enjoyed yeah. it. So we're stoked here. We hope you guys are really excited. Uh, go out and buy some some Watsy product and enjoy straight out of the box some great Commander decks. So if you can, we want to encourage you to support your local game store. Get your product from them. You know, if it's affordable, some of these decks might see a hike in their prices. So probably get them sooner rather than later. Yeah. And make sure that you're supporting your local community. Yeah. Hopefully you guys are out there enjoying some Magic the Gathering. And as always, have fun, but not too much. Yeah.